You know, we want the dollar to be strong. And we've said there's dangers around having a strong dollar. It means our exports are more expensive. Having a weak dollar is bad for imports, and we are a net importer. We import more stuff than we export stuff if you don't count dollars in that mix, if you don't count intellectual property in that mix. So for us, a, a, a weak dollar is much better than a strong dollar, but it comes with other risks. That means that we would be buying a lot more than we're selling, even more than we already are. And we're back with more of the Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and... Jeff. I almost said your name instead of my own, just... We're the McClure's. We're entangled. Yeah, uh, we're the McClure's. We are the bald folks giving you economic conversation. This podcast is called The Personal Wealth Coach, and that's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas. Now, the fact that it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything, neither, neither does the secretary, whoever the secretary is, and this tape will destruct after it's listened to. You the dated yourself. This tape will destruct. Your podcast tape is about to self-destruct. That's why you can't find the tape in it anymore. <laughs> it already has self-destructed because it's too old. And uh, the information that we do present in this podcast, we get from sources we think are very reliable, but we don't make any guarantees as to the completeness or the accuracy of that reliability or anything else. We just do the best we can. The information that we're providing during this podcast is not considered investment advice. This information is educational because investment advice means that we know exactly who's listening and we can custom tailor all of our advice to them. So prepare to be educated. Well, now it's time for questions. Yes. We've got two questions and you can add to those two questions by emailing us at either Jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. You can send it to both of us through both that's, of us to read it. That's actually preferable. We can both be looking yeah. at it. Okay. We can, we can be entangled and see them in stereo. John, you're an amazing person, but you have just done the most dangerous thing possible. You have asked what? the personal wealth fo- coach, bald guys, to prognosticate. He says PWC prognostications as the subject line. Does he not know how dangerous that is? We could spend two hours just talking. Oh, wait, we do that already. Okay. So what are, the, what are your predictions for these three scenarios? And he's got a picture. This is very traditional at this point. A paper version of the Wall Street Journal with a digital picture of it emailed to us with an outline around what he would like us to look at. So the outline, this is the quote from the Wall Street Journal. Three Vital issues for investors remain uncertain as the Federal Reserve moves towards tapering its bond buying. How often do you say tapering when you say, I'm going to cut back a little bit? How often do you just does a day to day? Is this right up there with deeming? Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, will this quantitative tightening mean treasury yields go up or down? I have an answer for you on that. The answer is yes. Will stocks do better? With rising or falling bond rate yields? Yes. No. Both of those. Okay. And a linked issue is the stock bond relationship that has held for the past three decades going into reverse. 
Okay, so that last question, we'll, we'll hold that to last. Let's actually answer these questions with some seriousness rather than the yes and no question answers that we're doing. Will this quantitative tightening mean treasury yields go up or down? What do you think? I think quantitative tightening will cause... Well, it's an interesting term. I think it would cause longer term investment, longer term interest rates to rise. Yeah, there, and I agree with that. Um, we can. We were just talking about this prior to the program, the show. Um, the Fed buying bonds at the rate that it has. It, it before the pandemic, it had about two and a half trillion. Now it's got about five and a half trillion U.S. Treasuries. When you buy bonds and you buy a lot of bonds, like three trillion dollars worth of bonds, you cause interest rates to go down. Because if you, and this is just kind of take a step back and say, all right, if, when, the, when, when you're going to get a mortgage, if you've got good credit, so that's the first assumption, you've got great credit, you're like in the 800 range, 820 even, you're going to go get a loan. If you have 15 banks that all want to give you a loan that you can choose the best rate between or tell them that bank over there is offering me this, are you going to get a higher or lower rate? You're going to get a lower rate because you've got good competition. They all want to give you a loan. Now, you still have good credit, but let's try a different scenario where there's not a lot of money out there to loan out. People aren't buying bonds like crazy anymore. So you only have four or five banks willing to give you this big loan. You're still going to get a pretty good interest rate, but it's probably going to be not quite as nice as the low interest rate you got when there's 15 banks. So the Federal Reserve represents the 15 banks, the big bank mentality, because they've been buying these bonds from banks and from holders of this debt, flushing cash into the system. When that cash is not being flushed in so much, we're going to see interest rates go up. Now, will it be a smooth trend? No, that's not how interest rates work. But we can average it out over a long period of time to see a rising interest rate when there's less people buying bonds. And the Federal Reserve represents a lot of people buying bonds all at the same time. So we expect treasury yields to go up with, with the Fed stopping its purchases or tapering its purchases. But I want to emphasize something. I agree with the article, which is in the Wall Street Journal written by James McIntosh. I agree with his, with his conclusion. It's, we don't know. We really don't know. Because despite the fact if the Fed stops buying so many bonds, and interest rates start up just a little bit, as they did, by the way, last week when the chairman of the Fed suggested they were going to maybe this year stop buying so many bonds. Right. A bunch of people, as soon as they get a little higher interest rate, rush in and buy some more bonds. Did you say Russian? The rush Russians in. are doing rush it. Rush in. Well, maybe the Russians are doing it. Could be. Know. No, no, they're not. They're not. But go ahead. But the point is, as interest rates go, if interest rates do go up, that will cause more people to want to buy bonds. For example, let me give you an example. The the competition with the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond is the 10-year Bund in Germany. Bund. It's the second Bund. Bund. The Bund. Bund yes. or Bund? I, I say Bund just because it sounds like a cake. Oh, I thought it was a Bund, but it could be. It could be a Bund. I, I'm not suggesting that I speak I'm, German. They don't even call it German there. That's how badly yeah. I speak German. I still call it German. They don't even call it that. They don't even know what country they're in. They think they're in Deutschland. Yeah, what is that? Well, they are clearly in Germany. Yeah. But I'm glad they anyway, all speak German there or they'd have no one to talk to. The yield 
If you if you loan your money to the German government for ten years, they will gladly allow you to pay them 0.53 percent a year for ten years. You will loan to them and pay them for the privilege of doing so. Right. They have a negative yield on their bonds. Since basically, and the way they do that, by the way, you don't actually have to write them a check from your bank account every month. What they do is they subtract some money from your principal. Basically, they will charge you 0.53% a year for 10 years to hold your money, to use your money for their purposes, and then they'll give, they'll give it back to you, but they'll give you back less than you put in. Yes. And they, but they guarantee it. The part that they give back to you is guaranteed. Yes, yeah. which is very good. Yeah. It's a good way to avoid taxes, though, by the way. Yeah, you don't have to pay taxes on any gains, so you don't have to pay. Because you don't have any gains. Right. Isn't that great? I think I've got a tax plan for everybody. If you don't want to pay taxes, stop working. Just don't get so any, don't make said, any money. So if some, some billionaire or the government or something says, I got this money and I want to save it for 10 years. I don't want to use it for, I want to have it available to me in, in the same, at the same value or better. 10 years from now, you give the money to the German government, absolute security, the absolute security, both governments are considered to be quite secure. Both of them are AAA rated. At 10 years. So if they go to the German government and give them that, they'll get, they're guaranteed to get back less money than they put in. If they go to the American government and give it to us, they are guaranteed to get more money, more dollars than they put in. And this is an interesting point. Even though it's a negative yield to maturity, because of the fact the dollar has been, here, here's another thing, kind of like fill up the wall with their English did, bullish. The here dollar, yeah, it's been bullish. It's been rising. It's been, it, and it looks like it, probably will continue to stay up if you put money in at the beginning about a year well at the beginning of this year into a treasury your interest rates at the end of the at the beginning of this year were 0.91 percent, so they weren't very good but still you've seen a three percent rise in the value of the dollar that you have in the treasury if you were german yeah so you've had a currency return that is a gain while your yield has been a slight gain, but your yield to maturity is negative. It gets very complicated. It is uh, Sadly, it's quite complicated. Uh, it's, Which is why forecasting interest rates is a fool's game, and I don't want to be a fool, so I'm not going to forecast interest rates. I do think, though. Wait a minute. When has being a fool's game stopped us in the past? It hasn't, and I'm about to become a fool. All right, here we go. Step forward boldly, my fool. As the economy continues to recover and we get on a roll, over the next decade or so, interest rates will rise. I. So if we're talking about 10-year treasuries, we're talking about a decade. I'm just as foolish as you. I agree with that. But I don't know. We don't know. In fact, this is how badly we don't know. 10 years ago, we were saying the same thing. About this the last ten years, this was consistent. We're consistent. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at, and and people are like, "How can you be doubling down when you you just said you've been saying this for ten years? You're obviously wrong. What's going on?" Well, we've been saying it for ten years because interest rate cycles tend to last about forty years, and this one's gone about forty five. So when we look at that, we say we're due for interest rates to go up, and it could happen at any moment. It's uh, kind of like it's like being on the Gulf, and I actually know some people I've advised on the Gulf to not live right on the Gulf of Mexico in the New Orleans area. It's but beautiful there down there. Why, why would you say that? Look how beautiful it is, and you can walk on the oil. 
Oh, no, that's the beach. That's that's tar on the beach. Sorry. They don't have tar on the beach much anymore. Not not as much as they used to, but after a good hurricane, you know, it, it the they, nostalgia's back. But they love living there next to the ocean and they think they're safe and it's all cool. I say so the A, the ocean is rising, whether you think it's man made or not, it's rising. B, the hurricanes are getting stronger. So you have a probability that if you live there for thirty years, you have a high probability that sometime during that 30 years you'll get hit with a hurricane. Yes. Yes. And so we can't predict which of the 30 years the hurricane or which of which of all the years the hurricanes are going to come in. But I can tell you that if you live on the Gulf, hurricanes are a real threat. If you live here in Central Texas, tornadoes are a threat. If you live in California, earthquakes are a threat. I forecast an earthquake for California. Oh, there you go. You have now made a forecast. Uh, you didn't say the gauge of earthquake or when it would occur. So therefore, right. you and Nostradamus are both vague prognosticators. That's that should be my title. I I, I am the firm's vague prognosticator. Thank you. That's on my card here. Uh, what do you do? I prognosticate vaguely. The future is, I imagine August of next year in Texas being hot. Hmm. Quite a well, prognostication. That's that's a that's a pretty fair high probability. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the st- statistical prognosticator. That's what we that's what we do. Oh, we got well, another question know, from John, though. Yeah, but it's on the same subject. It's on the same subject, but this is one where the Wall Street Journal made a boo boo. Did you catch Uh-oh. it? All right. So the article is well. The, the question is, how can both dollar strengths be dangerous? And he's got quotes around dangerous. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. So let, let's read the, I'm going to read the paragraph before the one he's got circled and then the circled one. It's about Norway. This article is about Norway and their central bank. And so it says Norway's central bank is likely to be the next developed country to follow South Korea's lead. Well, what did South Korea do? They raised interest rates this week. So that's their, some background context. South Korea's central bank raised interest rates. This is the first time that an industrialized nation has raised interest rates after the pandemic began. Okay. Uh, and for similar reasons. So this is the Norway Central Bank is likely to be the next to follow South Korea for similar reasons. Okay. Norges Bank left its key rate at zero when policymakers met this month, but said they are likely to move in September. What that means is they're likely to go up in September, not just move. But so, um, all right. So here's the circle portion. Unlike many other central banks, including the Federal Reserve, okay, we got a big boo boo here. Norge's bank is charged by lawmakers with using its interest rate to limit the risk of asset price bubbles and other threats to the financial system. Federal Reserve is mandated with the same thing. Uh, the Federal Reserve is gathering mandates. It was given a, an original mandate, which was just one at the very beginning with the Federal Reserve Act. But the Dodd-Frank Act, after the Great Recession, mandated the Federal Reserve try to prevent bubbles and panics. So the, the Wall Street Journal, probably an older writer that doesn't remember uh, that laws have changed since the Great Recession. But it's that's age discrimination. It is. It is. I'm sorry. I am discriminating against those that are aged and infirm. Oh, I mean, I mean, um, are you talking about me? I no, I'm not actually. All right. Don't, I give you much honor. 
So they've got the same goal that the Federal Reserve does in at the Central Bank of Norway, which is to keep inflation around 2%. Um, they are looking, Norway is in good shape, as is Denmark. Most of Scandinavia is in pretty good shape. Their, their biggest export is actually export. They ship exports. <laughs> and there's a great demand for that right now. Their economy is doing fantastically. Uh, South Korea's economy is doing fantastically, and it's much smaller than the United States economy. The Federal Reserve has to deal with parts of our economy doing fantastically well at the same time that parts of our economy are rotting from gangrene. That's a bit extreme. It's, a, well, it's not hyperbole. I mean, it's a hyperbole would be using the word crash when talking about the stock market. So I'm allowed to say gangrene. Uh, part of our economy is really not in good shape, and part of our economy is in great shape. So the Federal Reserve, don't expect them to raise rates. Expect them to, to mildly stop buying bonds, so slow down the bond purchases instead of stopping the bond purchases. Where Norway, Denmark, South Korea, Singapore, I don't have any doubt that they're likely to all be raising interest rates in the future because their economies are focused in areas that are doing fantastically well. They don't have a lot of drag, and that means that money's flowing in like crazy and inflation is going to start really taking off, and they don't have a currency backer like the dollar. And Norway, Norway's currency issues are interesting, guys. If you ever want to get confused, start looking at what currencies are taken in Norway. There are multiple different types of kroners that are used there. There are dollars and there are euros. So inflation's a different game there. So just keep that in mind. How can both dollar strengths be dangerous? And I'm trying to figure out that question in the middle of this. The next circle is almost nothing about this remains true and we may now live in a world where a strong dollar is as dangerous as a weak dollar. Okay, so that's the statement. The reality is that strong dollar and weak dollar is purely psychological. If people have for years said that there are, you know, we want the dollar to be strong, and we've said there's dangers around having a strong dollar. It means our exports are more expensive. You can understand why if you want to sell something to someone, having a higher price for it just because it's in dollars might be bad for business. Having a weak dollar is bad for imports, and we are a net importer. We import more stuff than we export stuff if you don't count dollars in that mix, if you don't count intellectual property in that mix. So for us, a, a, a weak dollar is much better than a strong dollar, but it comes with other risks. That means that we would be buying a lot more than we're selling, even more than we already are. I yeah. just wanted to say, if you got any questions about this, about Jake just said we import more stuff than we export, and we've been doing that for now 40 years. And for 40 years, the many economists have been saying, or not actually economists, would-be economists, pseudo-economists have been saying it's going to bankrupt the country because we're sending, we're spending a lot of money and buying stuff, and we don't have money coming in. We should be exporting more stuff. Well, the reality we're is that better, we we're far better off. Yeah, we make stuff inside our country and use it and consume it in our country. And if you think about it, if you're just buying water and putting it into a tank and you're buying more water than you're letting out of your tank, you're putting in more than you put out, eventually your tank will explode because you or can't at least overflow or at least overflow. And you can't come 
compare it directly, the United States economy, when we say consumption, it's literal. We're consuming it as fast as we're buying it in a lot of cases. Um, we gave an example earlier where you were talking about how someone in Germany buying a bond from the United States had a, a positive return even above the interest rate because of currency shifts, because right. the currency rate is up. The article that was sent in for that last question mentions that as a risk as well, because the opposite end of that is dangerous. If we see a someone that has borrowed in dollars that are living overseas rather than loaning in dollars. So if you're in Germany and you buy a bond, you're loaning money to the government of the United States if it's a U.S. Treasury bond. If you are instead taking a loan from a bank in dollars and you're making your income in euros, your loan... Or kroners. Or kroners. Your... Your well, kroners actually have gone the other way against the dollar, so they're stronger against the dollar right now. While the euro is weaker against the dollar, your payment's right. gone up. Yep, because of currency. And Why? the end of this article talks about thirteen trillion dollars of of loans in dollar denominated loans to people outside the United States, by people outside the United States, or sometimes by people in the United. So lots of loans have been given in dollars to people that don't use dollars. And that makes it more expensive to pay it back when the dollar gets strong. So this kind of answers why it's good to have, why it's dangerous to have a, do I, a strong or weak. I guess maybe the bank would want to loan in dollars so they could get more money back rather than loaning in euros or something like that. But well, why would a person who lives in Germany, doing something in Germany, want to borrow dollars it's, to it's do something? To buy oil. Oh, yeah. We kind of have a monopoly on that, don't we? Yeah. So dollars are the really the major currency to buy oil with, to buy energy in general. The energy markets are dominated by dollars. And if you're living in Germany and you're buying energy, you're buying natural gas from Russia, you don't buy in rubles, you don't buy in euros, you buy in dollars. And the Russians don't like that. No, they don't like it. But they also know that's the only way to sell energy. Why, why is it that they don't say, well, just you're going to have to pay us in rubles? Because the Europeans would say, no, your currency fluctuates like mad. We're going to have all kinds of weird problems paying for our stuff if we don't know what the currency is going to be. Wait, am I talking about the ruble or the Bitcoin? Yeah, I got you. <laughs> so this is why the euro folks don't want to buy oil in rubles. They also don't want to buy it in euros because, believe it or not, they don't make a lot of oil in Europe. They don't? No. So you tend to buy it from the people who make it or pull it out of the ground. I know that's and weird. Want, and they want dollars because they, they want think dollars. dollars are cool. They yeah. think dollars are cool. Yeah, so... This is part of the reason why we see the loan issues different. There's also uh, a, quite a lot of debt held by foreigners in dollar-denominated stuff, loans to the U.S. government uh, of about $7.8 trillion. So this is the opposite. That's the good side. They're getting paid more when the dollar rises. We're not paying more to them. If that's not complicated, I don't know how to warp your brain enough. We actually have the same payment from the government going out to them, and they are getting more money 
then we're paying them. Because dollars are cool. Yeah. Because and of the cool, the cool kids, I want all want to have dollars. Now that flips. If the dollar drops, they get less money back. So when you're using dollars, whether the dollar's going up or down elsewhere, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. You get paid the same dollar back that you gave in. So currency adds a layer of complexity. That that is a minor understatement. You get really complexified. If you start using foreign currencies to buy or borrow dollars to make loans or to give or, or, or to pay loans back. We kind of, kind of got that subject, I think, nailed down. Yeah, I think we have kicked this, this long-deceased canine enough times. Canine? Yeah. You, you stop. Equine. Ek, well, you, you kick the dead horse or let sleeping dogs lie. I'm just yep. mixing my metaphors here. That's all I'm doing. And we're about out of time. We actually do give advice to people uh, on the management of portfolios, fiduciary advice even. We get to know people about that. If you'd like to contact us off the air for some advice to you about your portfolio uh, and you have high net worth, the phone numbers to call with voicemail during the weekend, real live people during the week locally is? 254-947-1111. And toll free, you can go 1-800-914-7526 at 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can contact us through the contact form or email jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. On the webpage, you can listen to podcasts going way back. You can go to your favorite podcast provider. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.